morning, Tri-Valley. Uh, the Parnell family are once again not with you this weekend. We are in Texas celebrating Lisa's grandma's 90th birthday. So happy birthday, Mama. We love you. And we wish we could be there with you in person, but I'm excited that we can still continue on our study through 1 Peter together in a series called Solid Faith. And I want to begin this morning, not with the text of 1 Peter, but we'll get there. But I want to begin with some of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. These words might actually have been ringing in Peter's ears when he wrote the section that we're going to focus on a little bit later on in our time together. Take a listen. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even. For though they do not like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is shocking because he says things like that. You're blessed when you're poor. You're blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you're meek and you're even blessed when you're persecuted. We might hear that and counter it with, uh, no, Jesus, I think that I'm hashtag blessed when I'm gainfully employed, when I'm, I'm blessed when I'm sitting in my backyard, or I'm blessed when I've got money in the bank and the respect of people in society, because those are the kinds of things that we strive for and they make us comfortable. But Jesus and Peter both tell us that there's kingdom value, even in the negative experiences that you have. And specifically, Peter's going to talk about having negative experiences with unbelievers. This is 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. This is a continuation of a theme that Peter has been developing in the past couple of chapters about being a Christian in a society that doesn't welcome Christian values. Peter tells them one of the most valuable ways that you can be a witness for Christ is in how you respond when people malign you for your faith. It reminds me of the story of Desmond Dawes. He was a U.S. Army corporal who served as a medic during World War II. And because of his faith in Jesus Christ, Dawes was a conscientious objector and he refused to carry a rifle or even to touch a gun. And the army tried to get him to change his mind and say, no, 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 we need you fighting. So they sent him to serve in an infantry battalion, but he wouldn't do it. And like you probably imagine, he was ridiculed for his beliefs. He was called a coward. He was called a traitor by his other fellow soldiers. And they didn't respect him because this was someone who wouldn't pick up a gun and protect them, even if they were in a gun battle together. But even without a gun, Desmond Dawes saved the lives of 75 soldiers during an intense battle in Okinawa. And he was the first conscientious objector in American history to be awarded the Medal of Honor. One of his fellow soldiers, who previously hated him, and he asked for Dawes to be transferred to another battalion, went on to say he was one of the bravest persons alive. And then, to have him end up saving my life, well, just the irony of the whole thing. Doss suffered for doing what is right. He was persecuted and he was blessed. And this doesn't always happen, but in Doss's case, people were still able to see the value of a life lived for Jesus through his actions. So how about us? How should we respond when people exclude or mistreat us specifically because of our faith in Jesus? Well, Peter will tell us. He goes on to say, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter says, if you're going to suffer, make sure it's because you're doing something good and not because you're participating in evil. Lisa told me a story about something that happened to her when she was a little girl. And I asked her to share this story with you. Not because it makes her look good, but because it's a good illustration of what Peter is talking about here. Take a listen. When I was in elementary school, my family had... Um, we lived next door to another family with a few kids and sometimes we would get along but sometimes we kind of fought and they would pick on us often so one day i decided i was going to put one of them in their place so i turned to the girl uh who was our neighbor and i said you know some of us get straight a's and some of us get straight f's and then she proceeded to punch me in the stomach <laughs> one and only time i have ever been punched um but I guess, if I'm honest, kind of deserved it. <laughs> so sometimes people mistreat you, but sometimes you were kind of asking for it. Peter says, make sure that you're on the right side of your suffering. Don't provoke people. Don't give someone a reason to accuse you. But repay evil, not with evil, but with blessing. And there are two important things that I want to highlight in this section. The first one is be prepared. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He's telling these Christians, be ready to tell people about Jesus. The Greek word for answer in this section is the word apologia, as in apologetics, as in a reasonable defense that you can give. Sometimes when you share your faith with someone, you'll get a big chunk of time or you'll get a series of conversations to kind of make the case for Christ or to talk about why you love the Lord. But sometimes you only get a sentence or two. People sometimes call this the elevator pitch. Sometimes you only have the amount of time it takes to ride in an elevator with someone to clear, clearly communicate an idea. So what would you say if you only had like 20 seconds to tell somebody about Jesus or why you follow Christ? There are several sections in the New Testament where we have concise gospel summaries. What could be considered uh, elevator pitches of the ancient world? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 5, Paul gives one of these gospel summary statements. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. There you go, the gospel in 20 seconds. Or you have an even shorter elevator ride with someone? Go to John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal and everlasting life. You know what to say. And sometimes you can just tell the story of how you became a follower of Jesus. You could say, before I followed Jesus, I was here and I lived this way. But then I came to know Christ and now my life looks like this. These are the things I used to do and now this is what I live for. This is what I'm about. It's important to be able to share your faith in a skeptical world. Why what you believe about Jesus being the Son of God makes logical sense. Because to a lot of people who aren't already loyal to the Bible or church, it can sound like a lot of wishful thinking, or it can even sound like fairy tales. I had a self-proclaimed atheist one time tell me, after we'd had a series of meetings, he said, you know, before our conversations, I assumed that all Christians were just sheep, like blindly following something that they haven't ever critically evaluated or thought through for themselves. 
But what he learned is that there are convincing and reasonable explanations for the existence of a loving God who knows us personally and for the truth of Jesus Christ's resurrection and his lordship. There's resources out there if you know where to find them. William Lane Craig is a Christian apologist and a debater who knows the apologetics terrain really well. You might check out some of his YouTube videos. I've handed Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, to people on more than one occasion, and they found it to be a really helpful way of sorting things out. And one book that you might have run across, because it's been in print for almost 50 years, is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And he's somebody who didn't believe at all. He had a traumatic childhood. He said, there can't possibly be a God. But he dug in and he said, I'm going to research this for myself. And he came out believing. He had this encounter where he became a follower of Christ. And then he wanted to show people how he got there, how this understanding grew. And his son, Sean McDowell, takes up the torch and he carries on the tradition. He's someone who has a degree in theology, philosophy, and apologetics. And now he shares about the reasonable nature of the Christian faith. And he does this cool thing that I've seen on a couple different videos. When, when Sean goes and speaks at churches or colleges, he does this exercise where the first five minutes of his talk, he pretends to be an atheist. And he gives an explanation for why he doesn't believe in God anymore. And then he'll take questions from the audience and also respond to those questions using, them, uh, using the, the typical kinds of response that an atheist might give if they were asked the same question. So it's this big group of Christians and they're all firing questions at this atheist for like a half an hour. And then when he's done, he says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be myself now. And he, the first question he asks them is, how do you think you treated your guest? Did you treat this atheist with love and respect and with kindness? And then it usually gets really quiet in the room because some people start to realize, oh no, I was actually pretty defensive when I was talking to this atheist, or I was really arrogant with what I said. One person even opened up their Bible to Psalm 14.1 and quoted, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Sean, the atheist, said, So are you really calling me a fool in front of all these people? I think Jesus had something to say about not calling people fools. Hmm. And this brings me to the second point that I wanted to bring out and highlight in this section. And Peter says it himself. It's the gentleness and the respect. Give an answer to everyone who asks you, but do this with gentleness and respect. Peter doesn't tell us exactly what this defense of our faith in Jesus Christ should be, but he does tell us exactly how it should be delivered, and that is with gentleness and respect. You might be 100% right in the evidence or the arguments that you give someone, but then they might be 100% justified in punching you in the stomach because you were a jerk about it. A lot of times Christians don't take responsibility for how the message is delivered or received. We say, oh, I preached the truth. I did my part. It's not my fault that they got mad or that they walked away. But Peter says, yes, it is. You're called to be like Jesus, whether you're right or whether they're wrong or whether things are fair or whatever happens, you are to love people the way that Jesus did, period. So when it comes to defending your faith, if you aren't sure what to say, or if you don't get the right opportunity, the right amount of time to say things, that's okay. Because according to Peter, just as important as what you say about Jesus is how you treat people the way that Jesus did. Even if they don't believe the same things you do. And then Peter goes on and encourages these suffering Christians by pointing out that even though Jesus was rejected and his body suffered, God raised him up by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus rose to victory over all things. Here's what he says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. This section has a few parts that might make you scratch your head and wonder, uh, what is Peter talking about here? And you're not alone. Even the great theologian and reformer Martin Luther said this about this passage. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. <laughs> it's kind of confusing. The part about Jesus making proclamation to imprisoned spirits after his resurrection has led to a lot of speculation throughout church history and even led to some doctrines about purgatory and, and universalism, this belief that everyone will be saved in the end because Jesus will go and rescue them from hell. And just, it's a real head scratcher. But I think Peter is referring to a story that the reformers and the church fathers didn't really have access to the way we do today. And once you know what story Peter is referencing, it makes more sense why Peter brings it up in the first place. It's kind of like if I'm talking to you guys and I suddenly start naming people like Astrid and Hiccup and someone named Fishlegs, Roughnut and Toughnut, most of you be scratching your heads going, we don't know who you're talking about. Who are these people? But my daughters, Molly and Ellie, would know exactly who I'm talking about because they're characters from a show called Race to the Edge. Molly and Ellie know these characters. They know that they ride dragons. They know their stories. And so the story that Peter is referencing here is the story of Noah. Peter sees the situation of the scattered Christians that he's writing to as very similar to the situation that Noah found himself in just before the flood, having to trust and obey God while he's being mocked by the people around him. And the floodwaters that saved Noah and his family, but that were the destruction for some other people, he says these are like the waters of baptism that washes away sin and saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're familiar with the Noah story from the book of Genesis, but Peter's audience would have been familiar with the Noah story from the book of Genesis, but also from the book of 1st Enoch. And the book of 1st Enoch is not in our Bibles, it's not part of the Hebrew Bible, but it's part of the Jewish tradition. In 1st Enoch, you get more details about a strange part of the Noah story where these fallen angels come to earth and they create this race of giants, but then God is displeased with them so that they're, then they're banished from heaven, they're imprisoned on earth, and they're given the name evil spirits. We hear this kind of thing and we go, uh, what? But to the people in Asia Minor, it would have made sense without the distraction of having to figure it out because they would have known the story. But the big idea that Peter is making here is this. Jesus suffered for a while, but then he was able to proclaim victory over his suffering and over his tormentors, over all things earthly and spiritual. And now everyone and everything, including all the angels, the authorities and all the powers, everything now submits to Jesus. Jesus's suffering led to glory. And Peter tells Christians, your suffering and then your salvation too will lead to even more glory. Noah suffered for trusting in God and for doing what is right and he was saved. You first century Christians, you're suffering now for trusting in God and for doing what is right, and you will be saved too. 
Desmond Doss suffered for trusting in God and for doing what is right. And he was able to save the lives of 75 soldiers. But he was just imitating the life of his Lord Jesus Christ, who saved him, who saved all of us in the first place. That's the good news of the gospel. It's a hang in there. I know that things are bad now, but stay with it because you're in good company. So we hear this message today and it might hit us in certain ways. We might be sad because it doesn't seem like there are as many Christians in my neighborhood or in the world or in church as there used to be. If that's how you feel, you're in good company. If you are somebody who's been put down or left out or laughed at or punished because of your faith in Jesus Christ, well, you're in good company too. If you're praying for opportunities to share your faith with someone that you care about, you're in good company because that's what we want as well at this church. You're in the company of spiritual giants like Noah and Peter and Jesus Christ himself. And right now you're in the company of people in this church who want to see God's kingdom grow. And I want you to know that God can use your endurance, your patience under fire, your gentle and respectful attitude to introduce the world to his son, Jesus Christ. But we've got to leave our arrogance and our defensiveness and our fear at the door. Let's pray now that God will equip us for doing his will and sharing Jesus with the world. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of life through Jesus Christ. We thank you that he endured suffering. We pray that we can have the endurance to stand up to the suffering that we might face. Or in our world, the inconveniences we might face or the things that make us want to give up on our faith or on our church or just make us question whether or not it's all worthwhile. We thank you that this reminder has been given through Peter to these first century Christians and that we can hear it today as well. That's reminding us that we're in good company and that it's worthwhile, and that Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. So we praise you and we thank you this morning. Lord, I pray a prayer for this church, that we can be bold in sharing our faith, but more so than just being bold and having courage, Lord, and even more so than just being right and coming up with the right formula or words to say, I pray that you will give us a spirit of Christ, a spirit that is winsome, a spirit of peace, a spirit of gentleness, and a spirit of respect. Help us to practice that spirit of gentleness and respect as we speak to one another, as we have conversations about topics on which we don't necessarily agree. Let this be the gymnasium for practicing love to people who are different and who might get us on the defensive. And then let us take that out into the world and shine the light of Christ so that more people can say, Jesus has overcome the grave. Jesus has overcome all powers and all spirits and all authorities, and he truly is our king. We pray to you, our king, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. I'll be back next week. I will continue on this study. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to just invite anybody too. If you have any questions, you want to talk to me about anything, I am here for I mean, I'm not here, obviously, but I'm, I'm here in the I'm here sense. You can contact me. You can text me. You can email me. And when I get back into town, I definitely want to get together with you. If you have a need, if you have a concern, if you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, and be baptized for the first time in your life. Talk to somebody in this church. We would love to celebrate that with you. We would love to help you on that journey. We would love to be an encourager the way that 
these words from scripture have been an encouragement to us and that we've been encouraged so much in our faith. God bless you.